Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm David Rothkopf. I'm the host of Deep State Radio, and one of the locations we're coming to you from today is uh, that of our friends at uh, the Comedy Cellar. So this is Deep State Radio Live from the Comedy Cellar, where I am with Molly Jong-Fast, uh, who is a well-known writer and is also one of the team that's going to be part of our newest podcast called Redacted. That's right. I'm glad you're here, Molly. Thanks for having me. Another member of that team, which also includes Emily Brandwin, is uh, Philippe Rhinus, who's in beautiful Washington, D.C., and his house. Is that your bathroom? Are you in your... <laughs> Uh, yeah, those are my shower curtains behind me. Nice. <laughs> also known as my home office. Uh, yeah, no, it looks beautiful. It looks sumptuous. Also known as my only office. Mm-hmm. It, it looks sumptuous. Uh, uh, Philippe uh, is known to many of you from his appearances on MSNBC. Also known for her appearances on MSNBC, besides uh, her work as an attorney in Florida. We have Katie Fang. Hi, Katie. Are you in Florida right now? I am in Florida. So you're as far from the Mueller hubbub as possible. Very smart. Closer to the Mueller hubbub, we also have our own Ed Luce, who's at um, Casa Luce in northwest Washington, D.C., um, uh, being waited on by his entire uh, wait staff there. Um, uh, he has liveried. His liveried staff at the <laughs> at the loose mansion. Uh, of course, this is a special episode of Deep State Radio, and uh, it is focusing on the release of the Mueller report. This is absolutely the only podcast in America discussing the Mueller report. <laughs> it's the only place you can go and get any insight into this otherwise obscure document. Uh, and I'm just going to go around the room and, and ask for your first takes, the 60-second hot takes. Uh, people out in our audience are probably starving for hot takes <laughs> about the Mueller report. Um, and uh, Katie, you're the farthest away, and so I give you the most credit for that. You're also an attorney. What's your Mueller report headline? Not what Barr thinks it is. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Not even close. Yeah, Barr really disgraced himself today, didn't he? Barr, you know, I'm still trying to get over the fact that Rod Rosenstein looks like he was trying to... I think, Molly, you actually tweeted this too, right? He looked like he was like a, a hostage yeah. victim, like a kidnapping victim in the back. It was like, you know, help me, you know, urgently with those eyes, help me. Just so Barr is just, yeah, like SOS with his eyes. But but Barr is still presently, I guess he doesn't realize that he got the job. Because, you know, he was auditioning for this job. And I guess nobody's ever told him he got the job. Because he just keeps on wanting to kowtow to Donald Trump. But And, and today's presser was exactly the point. Why have a presser before you release the materials that are what you need to have put out to the public? And then we can have a substantive discussion about it. But there was remarkably a lot less redactions than I expected to see, mm. but what I did read was remarkably, alarmingly, disturbingly, angrily, egregiously showing that Donald Trump did everything in his human power to obstruct this 
disrupt this investigation and but for i don't know people who i never thought would have a moral compass or a sense of ethics they didn't do what he asked them to do so i mean in i think in a classic sense it's obstruction of justice but i'm appreciative that we now have 448 pages i have so many paper cuts on my fingers by the way <laughs> but i'm so glad we have 448 pages of exceptional reading material you read this in the paper version i did i'm that old school i you... printed it out wow <laughs> liar it's a lot yeah, of wow. Philippe armed, armed with a yellow highlighter, no less. <laughs> Philippe read the whole I thing on his. Uh, Philippe read the whole thing on his iPhone ring that he wears at all times, <laughs> uh, which you know you could see on the video there, and it like tells him when to stand up and and when to be outraged. Did it tell you to be <laughs> outraged this morning, Philippe? You know, I haven't been outraged today. If you know, in sixty seconds, I'll give you the Rhinus letter on the on the Mueller report. I um, I was pretty surprised, to be honest with you. I thought, you know, when we all learned that it would be hundreds and hundreds of pages, I thought it would be mostly tables and just attachments. And I thought there'd be a couple of paragraphs, maybe a couple of pages that were really rhetorically damaging. What we saw today is, I mean, it's just an indictment of every minute of Donald Trump's time in office. And it's simultaneously uh, reassuring that everything we've seen with our own eyes over the last two and a half years actually did happen. But there's something really, really wrong with our system. And, and you wrote about this at length this week, and you and I have talked about it. Every safeguard in our society, whether formally part of the Constitution or informally in the sense of the fourth estate and, and other things, is just being steamrolled. And I just don't understand what did it need to be clearly a crime for Trump to say, you got me? I mean, it, there's every other element of a crime. And I'm, I'm not a lawyer. And I've, I've always thought that not being a lawyer in legal matters is actually a bonus because I've been around a lot of lawyers. I've had lawyers as partners, as friends. I've had my own lawyers when I've needed lawyers. <laughs> and I'm, they're incredibly impressive. I don't know if you, you go to law school and you become incredibly impressive or they only let incredibly impressive people in. Well, but, Katie, let me, let me ask you, Katie, were you impressive before law school or did law school make you impressive? I was impressive in the womb. What are you talking about? Yeah, I, <laughs> I just want to answer that question. Well, more importantly, Katie, did I you know how to take copious notes mom. before you went to law school? Or did law school teach you how to take notes? Because every lawyer I know takes notes like there's no tomorrow. No, it's uh, true. Katie, you know what? It was, it, I was taking notes in the womb. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> she she popped out holding a highlighter. little weird. <laughs> but, I mean, you have you have... Instance after instance, most of them what we know we knew about, but didn't know the the real texture of them, and many more that we do. If this behavior is not illicit, if it is not criminal, if it is not the basis to be punished either by the courts or by the Congress, then what the hell is? I mean, we're getting to the point where Donald Trump really could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot someone by the way he could shoot you know a supreme court justice he could sh shoot you know a member of congress and nothing would happen and is that really where we are it's just i'm i'm i've not been outraged today i've been just kind of 
confused. Well, I have to say, that's a really, really good point. And Ed, you just wrote Isn't a, it? Wasn't you, that a really good point? No, no, you're a very <laughs> smart guy, despite not being a lawyer and disappointing your whole family. Um, but the, the, uh, Ed, you know, the, 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 if, if, if what is reported by Mueller and his investigators is not against the law, then maybe we should change the laws. Yeah, well, I mean, I think he makes, pl- he makes plain that it's up to Congress to force this law. I mean, that's what the second volume on obstruction leads up to. Uh, uh, the, you know, in Germany, you, you often see headlines that are really dramatic, and then you read the piece underneath, and you think that doesn't support the headline. This is kind of the opposite, um, because Bach teed up this headline that Trump's basically innocent across all fronts and exonerated across all fronts. Um, you know, a, a, a rather sort of limp headline. And then you read this, this 448 pages of absolutely damning, minutely chronicled on both counts, on the obstruction and the, the collusion um, count, extraordinary traducing of, of, of um, both laws and norms and uh, what you would expect from, you know, even a half-democratic um, nation's uh, commander-in-chief. This is um, this is a report that's going to live along. It's it opens up multiple new inquiries, and anybody who reads it and comes away thinking that Trump is exonerated it is 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 it needs to get their eyes tested. This is an extraordinary damning report. Now, Molly, Ed just used the word traducing there, saying the traducing of laws, and I would like you to open up your summation of this using the word traducing in a sentence. Yeah, I'm definitely doing that. Thank you, David, for that good introduction. Very helpful and also good for what I'm going to say now. Yeah. But um, I was just going to say that if you have – if Jefferson Beauregard Sessions is the moral backbone of your administration, you're in a lot of trouble. Yes. You know, no, no, no kidding. I mean, we're looking back on this. It's just an amazing. There's so many sentences in it that are so damning. Right. Like and, Don McGahn was yeah. in the White House in order to put evil people on the Supreme Court. That right. was the whole reason he was there. And he comes out as a hero. Yeah. No, it's amazing. I, it's very. But you know what? He doesn't. Go ahead, Molly. No, you go. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, I just think it, it. You guys have such good chemistry. <laughs> I, I think it's. I think it's. In, you know, it's sort of. It, every. I mean, what Philippe said is true. That it, that is sort of interesting. Is that like everything we saw? I mean, he he told us what he was doing while he was doing it, and some of the you know some of the things in there about how if he said he if he you know the fact that he said he did it proves that he didn't. You know, and the. I mean, there's just so much. It, it's a like I just it's so damning. I wonder like did Barr think we weren't going to read it? Like but that's you know what? what I don't understand. He's right. He's right. Less than one percent of America is going to read it. But they're going to hear about it, even if they don't read it. They're going to half read of parts America of is going to hear about it from Fox or Breitbart or Gateway Pundit, but even or some conservative screed. But and even, the other half is going to hear about it from CNN and MSNBC that are doing both sides, and we're going to go back to life. But even you know, Danny Hoyer already but, said uh, he doesn't think it's worthwhile to take the time. But yeah, even well, Fox, when they got it at eleven a.m., they said that it didn't it didn't jive with what Barr had said. One person on Fox, Chris Wallace. Yeah, no, Chris Wallace did, but Brett yeah. Bear Brett Bear said complete exoneration. 
But you know, Katie, there there is something you know that that sort of troubles me about this, and it's related to what Philippe just said, which is, you know, there are a lot of people I've read on you know Twitter who've said, well, you know, this doesn't change anything because the people who thought Trump did bad things are going to think it, and the people who thought he didn't do bad things are going to think it exonerates him. But you know, that's a pretty narrow Trump-serving narrative, right? Because this Mueller report essentially compiles a number of facts that support an argument um, that is what actually happened. And what actually happened was Donald Trump behaved abominably. Philippe said since he's been president, but I think this report goes and says long before he was president. Well, in, since he was born. Right. But, but you know, in this particular case – you know, embracing WikiLeaks, calling people up, saying there was another dump, knowing what was going on at some of these meetings, lying about the Russia deal, lying about uh, the the meeting at the Trump Tower, all of this other kind of stuff. There aren't two narratives here. Did what you- the Mueller report does, you know, Katie, it seems to me is it supports the narrative that Trump's a bad guy who did bad things. And anybody who doesn't believe that is in willful denial of the fact. Did you see Katie? Yeah, I'm here. I just want to, okay, so I was going to say, I think that everybody understands that the baseline common denominator in anybody's opinion is that Trump is a bad guy. Even if you're a Trump supporter, right. he's a bad guy. He just happens to be like the lesser of two evils bad guy. That being said, um, what happened today was an exceptionally clear laying out of facts that some of us saw happening in public view, which was mentioned by Mueller in his analysis. We saw it happening in public. It was undeniable. It violated our core sense of ethics. It reaffirmed that we weren't all crazy. And now it said, I am now laying a a play table in front of you, Congress, and you now have the ability and the authority to pursue the appropriate proceedings to find what you define to be justice, Congress, because Mueller said that the you know, Office of Legal Counsel memo handicapped him. He was completely handicapped in terms of being hamstrung. He was not able to move forward in a traditional sense. And so now he says, I am going to you know, spoon-feed you, Congress, with all of this information. I put it in, a, in, in a, a very coherent timeline. And now all you have to do is Story pick the highlights. It's like, you know, ESPN, you know, the highlight reel. Um, you can cherry pick what you want. It all is good. I've analyzed, I've analyzed it for you. I've investigated it for you. And now you can do what you need to do with it. Molly, I interrupted you. Well, I was going to say that, that I thought it was pretty damning what he said about Russia, if you're listening. And then five hours later, Russia hacks the Clinton campaign email. I mean. Or, or, or even worse, the next day. Michael Flynn starts, you know, farming out taskings for people to dig them up. Right. Well, you know, actually, the thing is, if we were presented with the findings of this report without the findings (laughs) of the past two years, we would have been overwhelmed. Right. They're, you know, the cases of him, them reaching out. They're all the meetings that took place. They're the um, instances of um, lying about the meetings, of obstruction. They're the cases of... Changing policy, you know, there's the whole thing about changing Ukraine um, platform in the GOP um, convention, which was the only thing they attempted to change and it had to do with, you know, there's the whole Manafort thing. You know, one of the things that didn't come up today is 
um, and, and Barr didn't mention it, and most of the other you know discussions haven't, is that a lot of people got in, indicted and then ultimately convicted, including the Russians. Uh, and, and one of the things, Philippe, that I find most outrageous about this whole thing and the way it's been covered by Barr and Trump is the Russian intelligence services sought to undermine American democracy. They launched a comprehensive campaign to do that and to support the candidacy of Donald Trump and undermine the candidacy of Hillary Clinton. And, you know, every intelligence agency in the government came to this conclusion. And now Mueller, after 22 months, confirms conclusively that that's the case. And Trump still won't admit it. He still won't do anything to protect us from the 2020 election. You know, at the end of the day, this is not a political issue. It's a national security issue. Our leading enemy in the world is messing with our democracy. And one of the things I found particularly striking in this, and that you, Philippe, who have worked with Hillary Clinton, probably got PTSD reading about, was the specific outreach from Manafort saying, we need help in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, because those are the battleground states where the total loss, but you know, the total that Hillary Clinton lost by and thus lost the election was 72,000 votes. It was, it was de minimis and could easily have been nudged across by this or by their support of the Jill Stein campaign or by, you know, uh, you know, the, the Bernie bros staying away, which was fostered by them or, or whatever. I mean, did, did you get PTSD? How do you feel? Yeah, I'm curious too. Um, you know, it's hard to, hard to even articulate it because there are some days that I react to it as a Hillary Clinton, uh, aide, longtime staffer. And there's sometimes I just respond to it as a regular old American off the street. But, you know, I think you hit an important point with Putin, which is not only are we, you know, still litigating something from three years ago that was fact. The facts of the matter are really, really disconcerting. Putin didn't try that hard to do what he did. They they got this on the cheap. They spent a minimal amount of money to really cause mischief. And to some extent, I think it might have gotten out of hand and paid off in spades for them. So, you know, one thing that concerns me about Trump is, let's just say for sake of argument, everyone on this uh on this show right now, were for two years investigated for collusion. And whether we were innocent or not, when it was over, we would just breathe a sigh of relief and we would make sure to walk the straight and narrow. We would make sure that nothing we did was in any way misconstrued as illicit or unethical. Here we have two players. We have Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. Why are either of these people going to take the lesson from this saga as to watch their step? Donald Trump, and this is what scares me the most, Donald Trump beat the rap. He is sitting there thinking he beat the rap. And he is not going to throttle back. He's going to throttle forward. Vladimir Putin beat the rap. He is not going to throttle back. He's going to quadruple down in 2020. And this, it's why someone has got to find a mechanism, by the way, the founders of our constitution and our country gave us one, 
but someone has to find a mechanism that in at the very least inflicts pain. And I think there's also another point that's concerning, which is we shouldn't assume for a moment we know anything close to 100%. Bob Mueller has had a credible number of resources, both in terms of agents, technology, access over the last 701 days. But at the end of the day, he is uh, at the, you know, he's beholden to people's honesty. And imagine if for a moment Don McGahn didn't spend 70 hours with him. We wouldn't know so much of this, but I'll tell you who didn't spend time with him. Don Jr. didn't spend time with him. Mike Pence didn't spend time with him. You know, the notion that there were 10 instances, the reality of the matter is there are probably 20 instances. Well, let me, let me, Katie, are you still with us? Yeah, I am. I know. I, I know you've got to go. So I, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, Philippe, but I just want to give you a, a chance here and to pick up on Philippe's point, because one of the points that Mueller makes in this thing is that the lying and the obfuscation and the destruction of records by people around Trump made it hard for him to get to key facts and draw key conclusions and that the president dragging his feet for a year uh, on answering questions of the special counsel um, and then ultimately doing it in writing and then 32 times um, saying that he didn't remember and so he couldn't answer the question also constrained him in this regard. Uh, and so, it, you know, one thing that it seems like is the strategies of the Trump lawyers to ensure that there were no specific legal consequences of their massive amount of wrongdoing seemed to work. It did. I don't know another way to say it. Delay is a friend. If Normally, if you're a defense or a defendant, you want delay. Delay is your friend. The longer you can drag things out, memories fade, people move away. And in this particular instance, you know, it was a game of chicken. Who's going to blink first? And I'm sorry to say this, but Mueller blinked. Yep. He well, blinked. Well, he I didn't think, have to, but he did. Well, I mean, you know, the 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 the, Dem- the Democrats on the Hill have su- su- uh, g- requested Mueller testify uh, prior to uh, the end of May, and it looks like he's going to do it. And Barr said he could do it. And one of the things that's going to be interesting to find out is whether, in fact, this investigation, which seemed oddly truncated when it ended, um, was allowed to run its full course. Because I don't know that we know that. Um, but uh, th- thank you, Katie. I know that you have a, a time constraint. Um, but Ed, let me let me turn to you uh, and pick up on Philippe's other really really important point, which was that Steny Hoyer. I hope someone's counting how many important and good points I have first, <laughs> Molly. Because I it seems like it's three for me and zero for Molly. I, you know, why do you pick on her? Why do you hate women? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I could not be any more. All I've done is work for and in service of women. Well, I see it's bred a lot. Guys, of... I'm going to sign off. Thank you for having <laughs> oh me. Okay, thank you, Katie. We'll we'll talk to you again okay. soon. Uh, Ed, are you with us? I am indeed. Okay, so one of the points that Philippe made that was above average was <laughs> that 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 Steny Hoyer already within hours of this said, "Oh well, we shouldn't bother with impeachment." And I have to tell you, I'm a Democrat, and I tend to be kind of supportive of the people in Democratic leadership. But that response was horrible and completely wrong. Mueller essentially said the remedy lies with the Congress. And 
it is it behooves the Congress, it behooves the Judiciary Committee, it behooves the Special Committee on, on Intelligence to go and investigate and take this to the next step because that's their constitutional responsibility. It's not a political issue. It's a constitutional issue. And, and our system of laws doesn't work if there aren't consequences to betraying the country and engaging in treasonous behavior with one of our worst adversaries. Or am I overstating it? <laughs> a couple of relatively unimportant points to make. Uh, one is that you know, Trump provided 34 paragraphs of written um, answers to, to Mueller's question, and 33 times he said he cannot recall. So that's a pretty, pretty high strike rate. It's about one per paragraph, but his memory fails him. So picking up on your suggestion that uh, Mueller's report's truncated, the investigation appears truncated, that would appear to... He, de he de declined to then subpoena Trump to be directly... Um, questioned and and that would seem to be an extraordinary lacuna uh, in a report that's entirely about Trump. But as to Staney Hoyer's um, uh, comments that we can't impeach, now of course of course that's uh, an extraordinary thing to say, and the timing is even more egregious. Uh, the report makes clear, and the Constitution makes clear, it's, it's the duty of Congress to pick up this investigation. Um, and that's, um, I think, what it's going to do. Whether Staney Hoyer's comments means it's going, going to do so half-heartedly, we'll, we'll find out. But it should be stressed in this context that whenever anybody goes on the campaign trail and watches a town hall, whether Iowa, New Hampshire, wherever it is, and listens to questions from voters, and these tend to be Democratic voters, uh, the Mueller report and Russia um, and so on comes up very, very seldom. So, you know, I do not blame Nancy Pelosi and the rest of the Democratic leadership for keeping an eye on public opinion. Um, but that shouldn't preclude them from fulfilling their constitutional duty, which is to pick up these multiple invented leads that Mueller has left for them. It's, right. it's a difficult one. You know, I, I've long held that, and I think you you would probably agree that Nancy is the most experienced player in Washington right now. But, um, but I she, think some of that is misleading very, very because... Difficult, um, needle to, to thread. But she can do the hearings even if she's not doing impeachment because Democrats control the Yeah, house. but the hearings Correct. are bogus. Well, I mean, it's, uh, not even, it's not even the, the conclusion. Look, everyone's entitled to it. I'm a huge Nancy Pelosi fan. She's gotten us this far. I'm not abandoning her. It was tone deaf of Steny Boyer to say it today of all days, to say it on the fly. He's going to have his own political problems because he has a whole caucus that didn't want to hear that today. But to Ed's point, which uh, you know comes up all the time, that if you go listen to town halls and Q&A sessions, that the candidates aren't being asked about this. Um, I believe I believe that to be true, but I also believe it's because, to some extent, Democratic voters are of this opinion that this is being taken care of, that Mueller was out there doing his thing, that SDNY is out there doing their thing, and the Attorney General of New York and the District Attorney of the City of New York. You know, I don't need Kamala Harris to bother for what I'm hearing about. I don't need... Eric Swalwell, I'm going to ask them about Medicare for all. 
I don't think that relate that that in any way equates to the Democratic base, let alone the the primary electorate being blasé about this. I just think everyone has thought for two years and still to this day thinks that that there's some entity. It's like that scene in uh, in Zero Dark Thirty when the CIA guy from D.C. comes uh, to Pakistan and he has all the CIA guys in the room and he says, if you think there's someone else on another floor having this meeting about how to get bin Laden, you're wrong. It's just us. And well, I think that's an important point. And I also think that, you know, first of all, there's all that, you know, I hang out, you guys all hang out with all these different politicos and, and they are always saying, well, you know, uh, there shouldn't be a referendum on Donald Trump, and we, we need to have a positive agenda, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. We need to have all of those things. The country has an agenda. But the reality is it's going to be a referendum on Donald Trump. Right. And the reality is that what Donald Trump is doing, if it goes unchecked, will lead to further attacks on the rule of law in the United States. It leads to Steve Mnuchin saying, I don't have to follow this subpoena and provide exactly. the IRS. It, it, it leads to Barr saying, we can hold people in cages indefinitely without benefit of the rule of law. It leads to lies to the government. It leads to not replacing people in senior government jobs with Senate-confirmed replacement, but allowing the White House to put in their own people. It allows the president to erode the rule of law in the United States, and it's a mistake. And I've got to tell you, and Molly, you know, you pick up on this. You're a shrinking violet, and that's why everybody in the right wing hates you so much. But, 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 but I have to say, not everybody. I'm sure you have some friends in the right wing. No. But, but I got to tell you, I'm real sympathetic today. Reading, yeah, but this. everyone in the right wing who likes Molly is hated by the rest of the right wing. But yeah. I would say the one thing that I was thinking about just. Just to put in another idea here, not necessarily as good as one of Philippe's, but an idea just the same. Nobody is nobody. Li- no, right, Philippe exactly. is in a class by himself. But the um, <laughs> is that we have, you know, we have there is a lot of really damning information in this report, a lot that can be used. And if Democrats are smart, that will be used for everything, you know, that will be weaponized the way that the Trump administration weaponizes information. I mean, there is stuff in there. And. I mean, there's stuff in there that's really, really damning that could be used to. Well, it can't be used. Yeah, if, it can't be used if you so take far. the. No, but just, I'm um, Philippe. I'm going to go to you. It can't be used if you do what Steny Hoyer did, right? And right. said we can't impeach, right? Right. You know, it can be used if you if you channel your inner Rashida Tlaib and you say impeach the motherfucker because. Right. We need to impeach the motherfucker. And everybody goes, well, we don't control the Senate, and Mitch McConnell's not going to follow through. Make the case. The Constitution says make the case. And then let's see where the American people come out on it. Maybe the House of Representatives makes the case, and the Senate does its bullshit and covers it up. But the people of the United States, enough of them, say, no, we're not going to let this continue. But isn't the first step getting Mueller to testify? Yeah, it is the first step. But what I'm saying is, and and Philippe, you can pick up on this or not, is the Democratic establishment has an outrage deficit. No, I, I, I completely agree with that. And I, I think that's the problem. And everyone is holding out hope for something that is getting less and less likely to exist, some savior up there. I mean, 
if Bob Mueller couldn't save us from this, I don't really know if anyone can. And, you know, I, every time someone says, well, we're still holding hearings, we have oversight, look at those specifically. I mean, you have at the forefront of that, you have Maxine Waters, um, Cummings, Schiff, and Nadler. Each of them have sent requests to the White House for people and for documents on issues ranging from clearances to traveling with former Secretary Tom Price to you name it. The White House has said no to every single one of those requests. They are going to stonewall. And what we're all going to get a lesson in in the next six months is how Congress is feckless. Congress is not an equal branch of government when it comes to having any kind of leverage over the White House. The, The White House can just bully their way through this. So even oversight is going to be tough. And I just, you know, it's such a false choice to think, oh, we've got to like hands across America and and we can't talk about anything negative. You know what? We're not going to be able to have to provide health care for everyone. And we're not going to be able to have a thoughtful, sensitive, compassionate immigration policy if we don't get rid of this fucker. So, I mean, it's naive to think that one doesn't lead to two. And you know what? Maybe we're better than that. We're never going to get a chance to prove that we're better than that if we keep tiptoeing around singing we are the world. And, and Ed it, made but, a point, but, and you made a point that I think is important is, you know, one thing I thought was striking in the report that was very deflating was that Mueller says straight out that he felt confident that he could uh, pursue and win and secure a subpoena to get the president to have to meet with him to be interviewed. And he chose not to do it because of the length of time. And what does that mean exactly? Yeah, and w- Was w- someone telling him you don't have that time? No, did he I, feel he didn't have that time? I, right. And if he did, that was feckless. Ed, I want to read you a quote. Um, the, here it is. The Mueller report marks neither the beginning of the end of the Trump investigations nor the end of the beginning. It leaves us in the middle of the cauldron. This is brilliant, brilliant quote, and perhaps you've seen it. And I was wondering what your comment is and where we go from the middle of the cauldron, and perhaps you could identify the author of the quote. <laughs> I'm just trying. I'm just trying to rec- recollect. Is it Mark Twain? It's a cross Trump? between Mark Twain and William Shakespeare, because <laughs> be- because it was you, Ed, because you wrote that. So we're in the middle of the cauldron. Where do we go from here? Um. Well, I, I think we, we can go in a number of um, probably contradictory directions. You know, I mean, as we've been discussing, we're going to see a doubling, a tripling down on the right. Um, and in our interactions in everyday life with people who don't agree with us on this podcast, of find that Trump is exonerated of the line that William Barr quite shamelessly um, set out this morning and in his report a couple of weeks ago that this essentially exonerates Trump across the board. And we're going to be hearing that um, at sort of amplified levels. Um, And at the same time, we're going to be hearing what I think is the far more reasonable interpretation of anybody who's read this report, which is the one we're providing now, um, that this is extraordinary small-eye indictment of a sitting president's um, um, criminal mindset. Um, You can't read that report and you can't, as Molly said earlier, and Philippe, I think as well, you know, have watched the president in real time provide commentary of what he was doing 
um, you know, under our noses and come away with any conclusion other than there is a criminal mindset in the, in, in the White House. What, what, what that means pragmatically about how Nancy Pelosi plays this, you know, is above my pay grade. That's her pay grade. Um, but, but, you know, just on the evidence of what we've, and, and, and what we've all read, um, this is an extraordinary moment. And, and the last thing we should do is yawn and say, now let's move on to the next chapter. Yeah, and I could. I think it could be the death knell uh, for a number of people in the Democratic establishment, and it could be a real fire um, that 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 serves a lot of progressives and next generation Democratic leaders. Because a lot of the older Democrats look at this in the context of the Clinton impeachment mm-hmm. and how that turned out, and that is just not an analogous story I- because it was a bullshit um, case. One thing before I go to you, Molly. Ed, I believe you have to go pick up your daughter from school, and we don't want to have a situation where she's left on the curb again saying, where's my daddy? <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, I gave the liveried, the liveried show for the day off. Uh, well, okay, and you can drive the car yourself? <laughs> I, I, I can. It's, um, it's, it's one of those self-driving cars. Yeah, no, I know. I remember that when you bought your – I remember vividly when you bought a new car a few years ago. And within 15 minutes, drove it directly into a pothole. Do, do you remember? Do you, <laughs> I do. And I applaud you on your acute memory. You're quite right. It was about 15 minutes. Yeah, it was, it was, it was extremely impressive. Okay. Well, go say hi to Mimi, and we'll see you on the next podcast. Um, and I'm going to be left here alone between Philippe and Molly, which is a dangerous place to be. Um, congratulations on a great, on a great column. Now, Molly, did you want to... Great to talk to you all. Great to talk talk to you. Bye, Ed. I just was... The point you had about Nancy Pelosi being scared off by by the Clinton impeachment is something I think about a lot because she clearly is, right? That's what's going on here, right? I mean, that must be historic. No, it's like, you know, it's like you go to a bunch of generals and they will say, we can't make the same mistakes we made in Vietnam in the Middle East because they came up in the Vietnam generation and that colored their right. experience. We have a bunch of politicians that came up around this Clinton impeachment and that was their experience with this, not not Nixon, because if it was Nixon, we'd be in a different place. Yeah. And their experience is, 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 is Clinton and I think it's led them to be um, inappropriately m- muted and timid, right? Yeah, and I definitely think because... I feel like Nancy Pelosi really felt that the Clinton impeachment was was a lose for the Republicans, and it and it was. And it, no, and it wasn't. Well, I don't think it was. They didn't remove him. Well, it but, didn't remove him. But but they, they lost think of what it did do. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm just going to say Philippe is about to make a really important point here, <laughs> Molly. Pay attention because <laughs> Philippe is going to say that Al Gore one way or another, lost the next election. Yeah. And it could happen here that you have an impeachment in the House, you make the case, you don't get convicted in the Senate, but because you make the case, right. Donald Trump loses. Right. And, and, and because think about it. I mean, you have the whole country today for a day focused on just a, a, a just a, a, an avalanche of devastating details. If there were an impeachment, it would be exactly what we're looking at. It would be a it would be days and days of thoughtful hearings 
looking and unpacking each one of these issues. So we're in a weird circular logic here where we're looking around at each other and saying, well, not everyone wants impeachment, so therefore we'll never impeach, and therefore no one in the process of impeaching will realize how much we needed to impeach. And, you know, there's never been an instance here. I, it, kind of a question is, I want to ask people, okay, we need 67 votes. There are 50, uh, whatever, 53 Republicans at this point. If we only needed, so we need 18, 19, 20 votes of Republicans. If we only needed five votes, would you impeach? I think most people would say yes. Ten votes. I don't know. That's where it probably gets a little dicey. So it's you don't ever hear someone saying this isn't impeachable. The debate in 98 was whether fellatio is the basis for tying up our country to be impeached. Right. No one is debating, no one with a mind of their own that's not Trump mush, who was a Democrat, is debating the validity of this. Right. And, you know, to go back to your analogy for like, and check my history, the... The people who came up in Vietnam, the country was shell-shocked by it. But when we got to the first Gulf War, the leaders, the generals and the colonels, they were people who were lieutenants and they came up in the, in the Vietnam War. They didn't, they didn't shy away from combat or the use of military force. They learned from it. And without making any kind of judgment about whether we should or shouldn't have gone in to help little old Kuwait in 1991, know, we did. And we did it very successfully because we had people who went through Vietnam, who learned from the loss and applied lessons and came out of the other end and went. I just don't understand how people are looking at the lessons of 98 and just coming to an absolute quick blanket statement that we would lose for. I just I want to have more faith. In something, I, I, at this point, I just need to have faith in something. I would like to have faith that the Constitution put in this mechanism for a reason. I want to have faith that the Democratic majority, led by Speaker Pelosi, would lay out a very thoughtful case as to why he should be impeached and removed from office. I'd like to think that when that case is presented to the Senate, that people will listen. And look, I, if it were tomorrow, I think Trump wouldn't be convicted. But I still think it's important to happen because there has got to be some ounce of punishment here. There has to be some pain point. Well, there's, Otherwise, there, it's just going to be ha and, and this whole notion. We just need to outlive Trump and then we can get back to business. That's crazy. Well, but, <laughs> I mean, but, but, but there's a, there's another component of this, Molly, and that is the investigation's not done. Right. Mueller was very circumscribed in what he could do. He was looking at certain kinds of things. He was advised not to go too far off the ranch on it. But do we know about tr Trump's Southern investments district. in Russia? Do we know about Trump money laundering ties in his businesses? Have we looked at Trump in Azerbaijan or Trump in Panama? Have we looked at Trump in Saudi Arabia? Have we looked at, you know, fully at some of these other meetings that have taken place? You know, there are a lot of elements of investigation that have yet to be done that could prove substantively important. Now, in the Mueller report, there are 10 or 11 investigations referred to in the footnotes that um, are ongoing. 
But the Congress has a role to play here in carrying these investigations forward. But I got to say, they're not going to be very successful if every time they ask for something, they get a no, they don't subpoena, they drag their feet, they don't seek enforcement, they don't play hardball, they don't say we're not going to fund your agency if you don't comply. If that happens, we're not going to get to the truth because I think the Mueller discussion is a subset of a subset of a subset of Trump's crimes. I, I mean, I think this, there's still the Southern District stuff, too, that's been... He, there's different... Oh, God! Molly's doing it! What? What am She's I doing? doing? Oh, now SDNY will, will save you? us. No, I don't think anyone will save <laughs> us, and I think we won the midterms and we're going to win in 2020, and that we just need really good candidates, but... I also think that there's a case for that the, that um, Congress should make his life a misery until then because he's obviously – I mean that that report is so damning. I just – my question is still this idea is did Barr think when he gave the press conference two hours before we got the report that that would do it? Like it just seemed bizarre. Did, and I'm I'm sort of surprised that he didn't redact more in order to try to cover for Trump. That sort of surprised me, too. I'm surprised that you're surprised. Uh, yeah, why are you surprised, Molly? I'm are su- you naive? No, I thought he would have redacted more to cover for Trump, because obviously Barr is a total partisan hack. But, right? look, but look at the last two years. But Mueller's numbers have, every time Trump and um, Rudy have hit Mueller, his numbers have gone down, not just among Republicans, but among Democrats. Barr is just a more sane version of Rudy or Trump or Kellyanne or Sarah Slanders by getting up there and lying. But it doesn't matter. There's no fact checking involved. Well, let me let me let let me. We're not going to fall for it. But you know what? A lot of people fell for it. I want to interrupt you there because we have another guest about to join us. But but a quick question. Did you, Philippe, just refer to her as Sarah Slanders? Yes, I believe Sarah uh, Sanders should not be referred to by her proper name. It should be Sarah Slanders. She is arguably the biggest liar in American history as this uh, report, without any redeeming qualities. As, as, report, as the report shows. Okay, so we have, I think, um, joining us one of our most beloved regulars, Rosa Brooks. Uh, professor at Georgetown University Law Center. Are you there, Rosa? Good. I'm here. I'm here. And were you just teaching a class? Were you enlightening young minds about um, how well the U.S. system works? <laughs> I was, indeed. We were talking about the uh, Miranda right. <laughs> Miranda Wright. Well, you haven't quite gotten to, with them to the Mueller report, but surely you've, in, you've watched some of the Mueller report. We've had, we're having kind of Mueller palooza here where we had Ed on and we had Katie Fang on and we have Philippe Rhinus and Molly Jungfast still on. But I want to invite you in. We have about another 12 minutes left of the Hi. show. Uh, yeah. Um, but what, what's what's your take on all of the, the, the Mueller news of the day? Uh, my take is it's going to be really interesting to see Mueller himself testify 
And the obvious question, which I think uh, members of Congress are going to want to ask him, and I hope he will be willing to answer, although he probably won't be, is if you were a prosecutor evaluating this evidence and Donald Trump was not the president of the United States, would you move forward with obstruction of justice charges? Because the report, contrary to what Attorney General Barr said, um, sure seems to offer sufficient basis for a prosecutor to do that. Um, that's, that's a good, that's a good place to start. And I do think the Mueller hearings will be the next big chapter in all of this. Are there other questions that you would want to pose to Mueller? Like perhaps, why did you stop the investigation when you did? I think, I think we know the answer to that question, right? Um, which is that he thought it would just get mired in endless litigation with the with Trump over whether he could resist the subpoena and so on and so forth, that, that he basically felt that once they made that decision, that if there was evidence of a crime, they were nevertheless not going to state overtly. They were neither going to seek an indictment of a sitting president, nor were they going to state overtly for the same underlying reasons that they believed the president to be indictable. You know, once they made that decision, um, that they were not going to actually exonerate him, but they were also not going to make a clear statement about his likely liability. There was not much else to do. Yeah, that, you know, you raise a kind of an interesting point here. Um, and, Philippe, maybe you've got a, a perspective on this. But, you know, we've gone through this whole thing, and there was this period where we were going, is Trump a target? Is Trump the subject? Is Trump a witness? Is Trump... The whole thing was about Trump. Trump. Yeah, this was look. This was exactly this is exactly what it looked like. It was it was Donald Trump uh, at the very least encouraged a crime to occur while he was running for president, and then it was Donald Trump hiding that crime as president. There was no, I mean, there's there, there's no Rubik's cube here. The guy was it was all in light of day, and in fact, that became their defense. That you can't obstruct if you're doing it in the light of day. You know, everything he's doing is public. So therefore, it's not Mueller even had to take the time to say that that's not the case, that you can obstruct in, in broad daylight. I guess what I'm just so confused by, as a non-lawyer, is I always thought ignorance of the law was not a defense. And I, I also, this notion that if you break into a bank and there's no money in the vault, you've still committed a crime. I'm just confused here where the red line is. Well, you mean, you, mean you, you weren't listening to Barr. Rosa, you probably were listening to Barr here. Barr said that the president was extremely frustrated and angry, <laughs> and therefore obstruction was okay. And I was just wondering, do you teach a course in <laughs> emotional upset and <laughs> as a defense? <laughs> Rosa? She's oh, upset. I'm sorry. She's uh, the answer to the question goes to intent, right? That most, not all, but, but most uh, criminal offenses include a requirement that the defendant intended to commit that particular crime, which requires that they does have, you know, do have some understanding that the behavior is a crime and they're, they know that that is what they're doing. So, you know, to some extent, 
it's not that ignorance of the law is a defense, but that if your ignorance meant that you could not form a criminal intent, you know, if you're saying, I was so dumb that I had no idea that what I was doing was obstructing justice, I didn't intend to obstruct justice, uh, it may have had that effect, but it wasn't my intent, um, under some circumstances, you're, you're in good state. So, but so, why does it seem like so, the only so, so wait a second. proven is by confession? Yeah, but, 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 but wait a second. He fired the deputy act, who was attorney general, who was the acting attorney general, Janet Yates, beginning of this thing. He fired Comey. He sought to fire Mueller. He sought to get Sessions to unrecuse himself. He tried to fiddle with the leadership of SDNY. He lied. He encouraged other people to lie. Where, what, what, like, what am I missing here? Like, when, when, you, when a lawyer looks at this, like, like what, does he have to say, have a sworn document with a notary saying, I intend to obstruct? Yeah. Rosa? <laughs> he doesn't have to say that. But no, I, I, mean, I mean, this is why it seems to me that a fair reading of the report suggests that not inevitably but likely a prosecutor acting in good faith, looking at this evidence, if Trump was not a sitting president, would say, I think there is sufficient evidence to move forward to bring charges against this guy on obstruction of justice. That being said, what would Trump's defense be? So it, it's irrelevant because Mueller said, I'm not going to bring charges. I'm not even going to decide whether I could have brought charges. Um, but if somebody, were, let's say Trump is voted out of office in 2020, a, a, a we devoutly hope will occur, uh, and that some future federal prosecutor on the evidence gathered by Mueller, does bring charges of obstruction of justice against him. His defense presumably would be, yes, I did all those things that you say I did. I fired, I I did this, I did that. Um, But I didn't do this in order to impede the criminal investigation. I did it because I hated Comey. I did it because I was mad at him for a bunch of other reasons. I did it because I'm a jerk. I did it because I'm immature. Uh, I did not have the intent to impede the investigation. I had the intent to really punish people I didn't like because I just happened to be a jerk. Well, the, and if the jury buys that, it could succeed. Yeah, no, no. If the jerk defense works, <laughs> Trump's in really, really good shape. Well, there's uh, the stuff about Junior being too stupid to yeah. know that he was breaking the law, too. I mean, does it matter if you're right. stupid? Do, doesn't it, it shouldn't. still count as breaking the law? Is that a, a, I mean, it just it shouldn't. Rosa, you're, you're, Rosa, you're actually, you're a, you're not just a law professor. You're a police officer. When you arrest somebody, do you give them a little quick IQ test? And if they're too stupid, do you let them go? But remember that police officers make arrests based on probable cause Mm -hmm. and prosecutors move forward with cases when they believe that they are likely to be able to prove that the defendant did it beyond a reasonable doubt. And those are really different standards, right? Um, and sometimes prosecutors think they can do it, but they're unable to convince the jury. So, so there, there, are, there are crimes that are so-called strict liability crimes, where the crime is to engage in a, do an act, you do, you know, that you engage in a particular behavior, like statutory rape, right? It's a 30-year-old has sexual relations with a 15-year-old. It, it's not a defense that they didn't know how old the person was. It's just the intent is not part of the crime. It's just you did the act, you're done. On the other hand, the way I read the federal obstruction of justice 
offense is it does require that the prosecutors not only prove that the things the defendant did had the effect of obstructing the investigation, that they actually have to prove that the defendant did those things with the intention of obstructing. And, and that is a jury question, you know, and if we were on the jury, would Donald Trump go to jail? Yes, I think he would. Well, can I ask Rosa a legal question? Yeah, if go ahead. Go ahead. Rudy so Giuliani so let's say jury, he'd be back fine. to the Don Jr. <laughs> idiocy question. Let's go back to the Trump Tower meeting. You had a room full of the high command of the Trump campaign who were meeting with Russians thinking that they were getting something juicy, that they were getting opposition research, whatever you dirt, whatever you want to call it. Turns out they didn't, which we can all debate about. They gave they were basically telling the Russians to go ahead. But let's let's just for a second assume the Russians came to the meeting and they handed a USB drive to Don Jr. and they said, knock yourself out with it. And they left. Don Jr. is still ignorant of the law at that point. Why is, I mean, would we be sitting here having a conversation about he didn't know he broke the law and that's why he wasn't indicted? Rosa? So I haven't, that's a great question. I don't know the answer. Um, the, I haven't read the full report, needless to say. Um, but I, my understanding from just the media coverage I've looked at is that there, there is a there's a long discussion of, in the context of digital information, what exact, which law is actually applicable. Because, you know, in some cases, for instance, um, it's a crime to knowingly accept stolen property, right? Um, in other cases, and, and that's very different from saying that you were part of a conspiracy to steal the property. So I haven't looked at the report in enough detail to be able to answer answer that question, but my understanding is that there was some ambiguity because the nature of the information was not a tangible item, but rather was was information in digital form. Okay, I've got, we only got a, two minutes left here, I, and I've got a couple of quick questions. First of all, I'm really glad you joined us, Rosa. Uh, it would it just wouldn't be the same without you. Um, it's also nice to have someone who knows what the hell they're talking about. Yeah, well, that's true. But um, and we had Katie at the beginning, and Molly knows a lot. <laughs> nah, okay, I have to read not them. Philippe is yeah. big trouble. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'll let you guys work that out. Yeah. And folks, let me remind you that you can watch them, listen to them, work it out on Unredacted, a new podcast from the DSR Network featuring them. And we're and just going to fight Emily the entire time. More right. importantly, with, with Emily. Emily's right. the, CI- Emily's the, the referee. Right, but CIA I'm spy girl. I'm so get back at you, Philippe. I yeah, no, I'm really to, looking forward absolutely. to that. Everybody's going to, it's through the battling Bickersons, level, old reference. Level you. In okay, a so, very Mo- but Molly, way. you're a big time journalist and oh, you yeah. write for all sorts of publications, um, uh, including the Daily Beast. You have a new piece coming yeah, out for the Daily tomorrow. Beast. Uh, you write for that right wing, the right wing thing that <laughs> no, <I> Bill, <laughs> Bill Crystal has, you know, sort of angry yeah. Republican weekly. And, uh, and Rampart or whatever that's yeah. called. Uh, it's uh, called the Bulwark. Bulwark, yeah, and something like some, something like that. And and the Independent and all these yeah. other things. But you also like, you know, you're like New York Socialite and you have all these cocktail oh, parties great. and dinner parties and stuff and <laughs> fancy people come to your house. If Bob Mueller was at one of these dinner parties, what would, not at an in, investigation, but like one of these dinner what would you ask him? He would never come because it's so partisan. But yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, I want, I mean, I think he set it up so that Congress would 
do something with it. I mean, he says that in the report that he set it up for Congress to. So I just wonder why he had so much faith that it would work, that Congress would do it, would impeach, which they're they say they're not going to now. Yeah, well, that's a that's a really, really interesting question. Let me ask one more really trivial question, because we've covered a lot of substance here. And Philippe, you can respond to that or can anybody else. But one of the things that I've watched on Twitter since this has come out has been the victory dance of the Trumpists. Mm -hmm. And the stupidest victory dances (laughs) have all emanated from Don Jr., who is treating this as though he's just been made crown prince and he's going to be elected in 2024. I think he thinks he's going to be president next. And he really thinks that he's been completely cleared on that. But his followers, like when you like criticize him, his followers are the dumbest trolls and bots out there. They're actually the scariest. You know, he targeted me about something and the vitriol and I get a lot of vitriol. I'm used to a lot of death threats and stuff. Why do people hate you? Any number of reasons. But but um, the he junior has the <laughs> most scary misogynistic, violent followers, worse than the father, because they're all young they're very into guns because he does a lot of stuff for guns, and they're really much scarier than any of the other. You know, Ivanka's followers aren't insane like that, and even poor, simple Eric, you know, his followers aren't <laughs> like that. It's really Junior has the really scary. I, I don't. I don't. You know, I, I. There's no one with a lower opinion of him than me, and wish if I could choose. Choose. I mean, there's no if I if I could choose between Trump going to jail or Junior going to jail, I would choose Junior. I think he's more dangerous in a lot of ways. In fact, I at one point thought I would agree to let Trump stay in office on a one-to-one ratio of every year he stayed in office, <laughs> Trump Junior would be in jail without without any kind of limit. But you know, wow. Wow. I don't think that he seems should be like dismissed. A that's, that's a really crazy position. Yeah. I don't think he should be dismissed um, because there's no there's no obvious uh, heir to the Trump base. No, it's scary. it's not Pence. Um, it's it, you know someone like Pompeo thinks it might be him, but I, I don't know if it is or if it isn't. It's Junior. Don Junior is going to well, Pompeo's just by dint of his name. This <laughs> Pompeo, I don't. You know, he can do a lot of mischief with that. Can he run for president and win? I, God, I hope not. But I would have said that three years ago. Right. It's possible. But he could. he could be a real force for evil. Yeah, he shouldn't be dismissed. I think. Yeah, you're no, right. no. As bad as Trump is, Trumpism is worse. Yeah. Rosa, are um, you still there with us? Somewhere, Rosa. I am still here. With possibly you, muted. One of the things that we traditionally do on this uh, show, because you always have such a dark and an unhappy view of the world, is we let you wrap things up. And we've had this big day of Mueller, and I'm just wondering what your sort of pa- your final thoughts are on 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 the coverage, or how you're feeling emotionally, or what are you going to do tonight? Like, what's your what's your last word on this? Well. I don't really feel any differently than I than I felt when we discussed this in our last episode, David, which is to say that I don't think the Mueller report is going to change a single mind. Um, I think that it is going to make of us who thought that Trump was a crook who should be impeached um, more confident in our judgment. It's going to make those who were convinced that 
from Block Pondwater are more confident in their judgment. Uh, I don't think Trump is going to be impeached. I think it's the voters who are going to make an ultimate decision on this in 2020. Um, the, the, only interest, the only thing that, that really is interesting coming out of this is I think this does increase the prospect that when Trump is out of office, he is prosecuted yeah. uh, for obstruction of justice or possibly as no 14 separate investigations with spinoffs from the Mueller investigation where only, only a couple of them are known to the public. Um, so it's quite possible that some of the other investigations will will bear fruit in terms of criminal proceedings. But but in the in the immediate future, um, I think, frankly, it's, it's status quo ante. Um, sorry, didn't you ask for to end with something uplifting? <laughs> no, well, that for, no, you, you don't follow the podcast closely enough. For Rosa, that was extremely up, uh, uplifting. <laughs> status quo ante is the most cheerful and optimistic cheerful. thing I've heard her say. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and frankly, there's a very positive point to Rose's message, which is that Trump is going to be, you know, in court for years after he leaves office, right. which means we'll be able to do podcasts for the rest of our life. Um, <laughs> discussing this kind of thing. Yes, Rosa? He remains in deep doo-doo. Right. He remains in deep doo-doo. That is our headline um, uh, for the entire podcast, for the entire hour and five minutes that we've done of this podcast. I want to thank Katie Fang, who joined us from Miami, and Ed Luce, who joined us from Stately Luce Manor in Washington, D.C., and Philippe, who joined us from his bathroom, and Molly Jong Fast, who joined us here in the Tenement Studios of the Comedy Cellar. Uh, and Rosa Brooks, who is in her car as usual, because I'm not sure she actually has a home. Um, no, I'm not. No, you're not. Here, Georgetown Law. Oh, you're at Georgetown, Georgetown Law School. Well, that's that's good. That's near Capitol Hill. Maybe you could go over there and remind them they have a role to play in all of this. Um, I would also encourage everybody who's listening to this, which is the best and only podcast on the Mueller report that anybody has done to listen to the unredacted podcast coming from Emily Brandwin, who is also the host of our Washington for Beautiful People podcast, and Molly and Philippe, which will start in May, I think. And Philippe uh, and I don't kill each other before then. No, no, that's why you're there. It's all that chemistry. It's fantastic. (laughs) And, um, of course, listen to Washington for Beautiful People and listen to National Security Magazine and listen to more Deep State Radio, which will come to you at its usual time next week and for all eternity um, because you are in hell. (laughs) You have died. And this is what it is. This is Jean-Paul Sartre wrote Hui Clo, No Exit. Um, and people were trapped in a room, but in the modern version, they would be trapped in a podcast, um, <laughs> unable to escape. So uh, that's where you are uh, here in the third sub-basement. Thank you for joining us, um, everybody, and we'll see you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye. See you on the feud. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.